Hello and welcome once again to Dave and Marlo, podcast from your friends at Blazers Edge. And this week, celebrate Blazers fans. Yay! We have a win to talk about, a victory, a real live W. Oh my goodness, the Blazers defeated the Utah Jazz 127 to 115. It's the latest game as we record this podcast. Uh, there will be another one against Chicago before you hear it, but for us, we're not going to take any chances we're going to say that the blazers are on a winning streak and oh my goodness how good it feels to have a little breath of air in the midst of all the darkness marlo how do you feel about their success in utah well as you mentioned uh, in the mix of all the darkness uh, i've kind of got mixed emotions you know obviously you're looking at the standings uh the 10 seed is a little bit out of play you're looking at that that situation where you get a top five top five pick, top six picks, stuff like that. So, um, kind of just waiting to see how the, how the how everything falls. But I don't know. It, it's always good to see a win, but you know at what cost. So I think that'll be a debate to have over the next couple of weeks. Oh um, no, a win that we didn't want. You're telling me <laughs> that we got to celebrate and then it's like, oops, uh, maybe we shouldn't have done that. A little bit more of that December would have been great. January would have been great. Um, in March. Not so sure. So it's always good to see a win. You know, more smiles with that. But I don't know. I just I don't know if it's worth it at this point. So have you ever seen the movie Rounders, the poker movie with Matt Damon? I haven't. Okay. So you want to be the main character who you know ends up shooting for the World Series of Poker. Instead, the Blazers are his best friend Worm right now, which who just can't do anything right. Like when he loses, he loses all their money, and when he wins, it's somehow worse so okay well i mean yeah i i don't know part of me still thinks that chasing for uh lottery position or you know tanking is a little bit i mean look we're logical we go by stats but sometimes you feel like you get what you ask for and when you start tanking or angling that way, I mean, I can get it big picture. I understand what the Blazers did last year. But like when you try to get it down to the seed and the slot and you try to take that away from someone else by actively losing, it doesn't feel like the basketball gods are going to reward you for that. I don't know. That's probably just my world, though. Yeah, I think that's well said. You know, when you try to play with luck like that, sometimes you can get snake bitten. So maybe it's better to go out there and just put your best foot forward. Um, if we heard, we've heard anything about it this week, you know, Chauncey Billups and the crew, they're saying that they're going to go out and try to win every game. Um, so they're, they're going to be fighting, trying to get as many wins as they can, uh, even if it hurts them in the long term. And I think Sean Hyken said it best on Twitter. You know, it's a situation where, obviously, you know, you want the Blazers to have, you know, ideal draft positioning as best as they can get it. But if you're in the facility and you're on a 16, 17-game winning streak, that's tough to carry over into next year. The momentum's not there. You know, you've kind of cultivated it. It loses mentality a little bit, so... There's some, some pluses and minuses to it. Uh, I think the main thing is that you just you just can't win. Even when you win, you can't win. So it's it's just odd situation all around. But, you know, you're just hoping for the best, hoping, hoping to be optimistic with that. I'll say it better than that. Ha uh, not even half. 80% of this team is 26 and under. Okay. you're First of all, these are the games where they're going to get run. And you don't want to take the significance away. But second of all, it's what you just said. What culture are you instilling? What mentality are you instilling? And you know what? 
I know it's not this simple, but I can't help but feel like if you establish a pattern where, for some reasons, it's okay to go in and lose, like you don't really need this win, or you want more ping pong balls. Okay, well then, how about like when I'm not feeling good, or how about when, you know, I'm hurt, or how about when I'm fighting with the team, or with teammates, or whatever. Those are all legitimate reasons, too. I don't know. It just seems to me, again, I turn to places like the Miami Heat, even sometimes the Boston Celtics, as like, okay, there's no excuse to lose. I mean, you do it if you have to, but there's just no excuse. You go in there and you win every game you can. And that's what I want my under-26s to absorb about the Trailblazers. I think the Blazers are so far from that kind of culture now that it's laughable but it's got to start somewhere. And you know what? Making a statement that we could have gotten better lottery odds to get some other guy besides you, but we thought it was more important to win with you. And we want you to go out there and play hard. That's the message that needs to be sent. I think when you put it like that, it it makes it sound a whole lot better. Um, And it's just, it's a situation where you just want to have the right culture. And we talked about with Chauncey Billups and, and, and what he's done as a coach. He's talked about it before, and he said one of the big things that he, he feels like he's done well this year is getting guys to buy into that system and that culture and the mentality in which they play. So uh, I just want to continue to build that. Um, and at the end of the day, that's that's what it's all about. You know, this is a team where you've got so many different young players. I think when you go out there and try to lose, you know, you can kind of you can kind of build bad habits. You know what I'm saying? Guys like Cam Reddish, Kevin Knox, you know, if you believe in those guys long-term the way you, you, know, you say you do, you don't want them going out there and playing for stats and, and – playing games where their, their intention isn't to win. So I think it's big. You just got to go out there and, and compete. I think we've seen oh, – yeah, and, and, and kind of double onto that a little bit. Um, I think we've kind of seen the best-case scenario for the Blazers over the last couple of weeks, you know, where they've, they've competed well uh, and certain parts of the games, as we'll talk about later with the Clippers and the, the Celtics and whatnot, and just come up short. I think that's what you kind of want to see. You want to see young players continuing to build what they've built, um, putting together some big games, like Trenton Wofford, for example. He's had, I think it's seven straight uh, double-digit games. So he's putting together a nice little stretch of games. Shaden Sharp had probably the best game of his career against Utah. So uh, just really good to see. You want to continue to see those young guys just build on that and find a way to elevate. I think that's the big thing. And even if you don't come with, come away with wins, you know, that 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 production and that time that they're getting on the court, you know, it's invaluable. It's invaluable for their long-term, their long-term viewpoint. So. Yeah, I mean, what a heck of a message. When we want to win, we put in Damon Anthony Simons. When we want to lose, we put in you. <laughs> and it's like, okay, well, damn. You know? <clears throat> Speaking of young guys, Shaden Sharp, Trenton Watford, had fantastic games in Utah. In fact, uh, Coach Phillips credited them for bolstering the victory. Now, Damian Lillard had... 30 points, but he only took 19 shots, did take 14 free throws. That was great. But he was not having his best night. And all of a sudden, here comes Sharp and uh, here comes Watford, scoring 24 and 21, respectively. Uh, Watford had five assists and Sharp had three. Sharp, of course, had four steals. Watford had a couple blocks. So they're like filling in the entire spice cupboard with the box score and came out with a well-seasoned dish. How, how, I don't know how to ask this. It's always cheap to go back and look, especially when the agenda has changed. How do you feel about Sharp, especially not playing as much as he could have up to this point? 
Uh, I don't think it was a mistake. Uh, I think, you know, coming into this year and into, you know, November, December, January, Blazers had intentions on, on being a, a, a perennial postseason contender. So they weren't thinking about it in the sense of, oh, we got to go give him 30 minutes to develop him. Um, and with Sharp, at the beginning of the year, we kind of looked at it and we were, he was still a project. He was a question mark. And, you know, a lot of players they could have taken where they knew the identities of those players. They went with the mystery box and, and the, the guy with the hidden potential and Shaden Sharp. So I think it just comes down to that. So it's, it's a situation where he's, he's definitely, I think, he see the expectations in terms of what we kind of expected from him experience-wise. But I think that they're playing him right at this point. Uh, now that the season is basically a wash, now you want to see him get minutes, get get reps, and, and do that. But to say that, you know, he could, should have played more in December, January, is kind of kind of ambitious to say, I, w- I would say. It's kind of the opposite of what you're saying. It's, it's sending a message to the rest of the team that, well, in order to get on the floor, you've got to actually produce victories. Uh, still, I mean, you, you can't look at a, a stat line like 24 points, nine rebounds, three assists, four steals, and say, well, this guy wouldn't have helped us win. So I guess the argument would be that stat line probably would have been either very intermittent or non-existent in January, right? And now he's coming through, and after a year under his belt, he's ready to go forward. Do you think this puts into question at all in the summer, whether they keep Sharp or Anthony Simons? Is that even a discussion yet? I think it's always going to be a question, uh, just because of the redundancy of what, what Lillard and Simons in that backcourt. I think we've already kind of seen what the ceiling for that is. Um so they're, they're going to be trade. I think they're going to be trade situations that come about. And Luger basically said in this press conference, he's like, well, we, we, he doesn't, he doesn't have any intention of, of continuing to be below average and, and tanking and, and being in the situation they're in now. So I think it'll be something to think about. And with Sharp, um, especially over the last couple of games he's played, he's really sort of, you know, raised the ceiling up in terms of what he can be. I love what I think from him defensively uh, against Utah. And I think that's going to be the big thing for him. So. Um, just thinking about it like that, I think you'll, you'll definitely get some questions about that this summer, as was the case with, with C.J. McCollum and whoever came before that. It's always going to be a situation where you, you, you think about that. So I say yeah to that question. All right. Let's talk about a couple other players, especially in the context of that Utah game. I mean, we've got the other ones. we got Boston and the Clippers, too. But those were semi-familiar stories. Uh, the Blazers got run, right? But Cam Reddish. Staying at relatively high minutes compared to expectations, having certain brilliant moments. I mean, when Cam Reddish makes a play, especially from the wing, you kind of perk up, right? And he gets that, you can almost read it in him. He gets that, I don't know, Reddish look. And it's like, uh-oh, that there's that twitch, there's that move, and all of a sudden something special happens, Right. But then he also has plays that makes you make you go, oh, <laughs> what the heck was he thinking? Is that just part and parcel of who he is? Is that youth and inexperience? What, what's going on with him, and how excited are you about the idea that he might come back as a regular rotation member next year? That's a good one. I would say, um, to start it off, I think it's definitely some inexperience there. Uh, one thing to think about with Red is that he's, he's still younger than some of the players that were drafted this past year despite the fact that he was drafted in 2019. So uh, he's, he's still a, 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 pro, a project that we've, we've ever seen one, and, and that fits what the Blazers have gotten. You know what I'm saying? The hidden guys that you don't know what they can do just yet. And you see it in, in, in his play. He's very... 
I think back to that New York game where I thought he was going to come out and, and really show, you know, Tom Thibodeau and them what they were going to miss out on, and he didn't do much. Um, so it's still very hit or miss. Uh, I think he's got some different things he can improve at with the shot shot selection um, and picking his spots a little bit better. But when he's on, you know, it's, it's it's fun to watch, and I think he's got the potential to be a guy that can can really elevate that second unit for the Blazers. So uh, to answer that second question, I would say, yeah, I think he's definitely a guy that you want to continue to try to take a flyer on, especially since the Blazers don't really have a lot from that second unit. They've really improved over the last couple of weeks, but uh, they don't have a lot to, to kind of build their build their brand on right now. So I would say going forward, he's a guy that you, you want to you continue to invest in and see what you can get. Well, and I think one of the things that people miss is, even with the slightly slower pace of the league now, there's not... I'm talking about scheduling pace, not on-floor pace. Like, you get more days off between games. You get fewer, uh, you know, four games in five nights. In fact, those don't exist anymore. They're still not practicing a ton. And a lot of that is load management, and a lot of that has changed expectations. But it's not like 1986 where, you know, if you had two days off between practice, you would have three practices in those two days. Uh, you get to shoot around, you get some film work, but what happens is these younger players get to work out their issues on the floor. And in individual drills, of course, but that's not quite the same. So, yeah, you need to measure the development of the young guys over a season more than over a week. And I think that's a hallmark of today's game. The bonus is that the game style is more open so that I think you can make an impact with slightly less integration than once was true. I mean, I remember like Drazen Petrovic trying to learn how to play and there were just plays where he was, he was just a loose cannon. I mean, you didn't even know he wasn't in the right place on the floor. He wasn't, he was running around everywhere. It took a while for him to get into sync I think today you can actually mask your contribution. You can you can look decent quicker, but actually being fully functioning in the system might take longer. I think that's well said. I think if you give him a training camp to kind of iron out some of his issues, um, it, it'll definitely be something that benefits him. I can't recall the exact number, but I think it's um he's 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 played for already played for three different teams, uh, and there's four or five different head coaches already. Man, imagine that for a, for a 22, 22, 23-year-old um, trying to adjust to that and, and kind of you know, figure it out his way. And I think I've said it before, but the one thing I love about Cam Reddish's his, um, plot into the NBA so far is that there's if there's anybody that can kind of relate to it, it'd be Chauncey Billups. Chauncey Billups came into the league, played for Minnesota, played for Boston, and didn't find his way until he got to Detroit. So uh, it's just you'd love to see that. And I think you know, he's, he's already kind of showed some of the, the strengths of his game. I think it can kind of fit into that that uh, emergency starter role, but more of a second unit player. So going forward, I think yeah, I think you definitely give him a chance, and and he, I'm I'm bullish on Cam Reddish right now, um, especially for the second unit. So we also in Utah saw Yusuf Nurkic. He's back. Uh, this is his first what I'd call really good game since he returned. Thirty one minutes. Drew Eubanks only played six. Seven for twelve field goals. Hit a couple of threes. He only had four rebounds, but they had had him running around. He had a block, but 20 points, and it's like, okay, here's, here's offensive Nurk anyway. 
How important is that for the Blazers? And uh, how good was it to see Nurkic out there looking decent? First and foremost, it was absolutely fantastic to see him looking healthy again and, and getting back into his groove. And I thought that the role he played in that Utah game was was huge. You know, I think Portland came into that game absolutely knowing what Walker Kessler was capable of as a rim protector. And then Connor, what did they do? They ran a five-out delay offense. Uh, I'm pretty sure Nurkic didn't have a problem with that, kind of being able to lag back a little bit. And they ran a lot of pick and rolls that kind of forced Kessler to kind of step up and, and defend that uh, Lillard, Lillard, what Lillard was going to do. Because if you remember the game before that, he had put up the most efficient 60-point game in, in basically league history. So Utah came into that game focused on that. So uh, Nurkic played a huge role in that, shooting three-pointers to kind of pull him out of the paint. Um, and it was it was huge. And I thought, you know, you're looking at that game, you, you put put him in situations where Utah's got to run Kelly Olenek as their rim protector, and there's nobody scared of that. You know, we might be able to score on that, me and you. So uh, for Portland, it was it was great. Um, and, you know, you want to continue to see him put together some big games like that, 23 against the Clippers. 20 against Utah, so um, definitely a, a, he's setting himself up for a pretty nice ending to this season. You know, it's obviously not obviously not going to mean too too much um, if they don't you know make the play-in game or whatever. But just good to see him healthy after the season that he's had and what he's kind of had to deal with. So you know, you tip your cap to use of Nurkic in that regard. Yeah, the the counter would be as soon as they put Laurie Markkinen in the center and and countered that system, uh, it fell apart pretty quick. But Still, Nurk was doing good. You're right. He did have 23 against the Clippers. I just think that one didn't stand out as much to me, even though technically he shot better and produced way better stats. Uh, maybe it's the feeling, like you said, that the production against Utah really led to a change in the game. And I think we kind of missed that, that Yusuf Nurkic is meant to change the game. Now, not the same way Damian Lillard is, obviously. In fact, Nurk isn't even the second option on the team. I get that. But the reason why you have Yusuf Nurkic instead of a random center number three is because Nurkic has the potential to, with his passing, with his pick setting, with his rolling, and now the Blazers are increasingly saying with his three-point shooting, and obviously with his rebounding, where he's the only one on team, the team that does it, he's supposed to make the Blazers or help the Blazers play different. That's been missing for so much of the season, both through injury and also because of whatever's been going on with Nurk. And you can tell the difference when it's there. And it's something that the Blazers either sorely need or they need to go out and give some get someone who will give the same 10 rebounds every night, no matter what, and play in the same spot every night, no matter what, and simply make up for it around them. I don't think that they can have a Nurkic-shaped hole in their attack anymore and expect to be successful. So for me, this is like in or out, in or out for Nurk, as far as you know, staying in shape, playing well doing all that stuff in or out for the Blazers are you going to make this guy a critical part of your attack or can you not trust him and your answer to that determines what you do with him this summer yeah and I think that's definitely a case for, for both sides of that too um, he's definitely a guy that he, when he's on his game I think he's definitely one of those top half centers you know in, in terms of what he can do and how he forces you know opposing teams to but if they play their big you know it's going to be tough for him uh, but there are other situations where it, it just doesn't really work out. Um, but I think for the for the Blazers, their flaws right now, I think he's absolutely key for it. You know, they, they put a stat out during the game the other day where they said that he uh, grabbed like 
I think it was like 16.9 rebounds per 100 possessions, which is like 94th percentile. And you think about how poorly this Blazers team has rebounded. A guy like that is key. Um, so I, I I look at that and I'm, I'm thinking to myself, like, he's definitely a guy that you, you want to see continue to play and, and be, be on his game. But I'm not sure just how much you can invest in a guy that's, that's you know, routinely hurt, routinely out of the, out of the rotation, uh, especially at the, at the paycheck that he's getting right now. So that'll be something to look at. I think Trenton Wofford, the way he's played this year, uh, he's, he's played a bit of that backup five. Chauncey said this this week that he's getting a chance to actually play his real position. So you got some options there. I think next year you you kind of see what Jabari Walker can do and, and guys like that. And maybe you even go get a big in, in the draft, some, get some size in the draft. So it'll be a lot of questions there. And I think Nurkic, what you do with him is going to be right at the top of that list, um, right behind the defense. Then you got to get defense and then you look at getting some size. Absolutely. Well, if you look at the week prior to – Utah. I mean, the Blazers gave up 18 offensive rebounds to the Celtics and the Clippers. They can't go with nobody, right? Uh, and this brings up actually a side question. So Jeremy Grant is not going to provide those boards. I mean, he does good defensive work, I think, right? It's a little hard to tell right now whether he's maxed out his defensive look because the rest of the team around him is just not integral. So, like, when you're running out in sp- if you're a Lego just floating in space and not connecting to other Legos, it's hard to tell how you know useful you are, right? He's got nothing to connect to. Uh, we do know, though, that Grant is not a rebounder, which means if he's your power forward, you have to depend really heavily on your center and probably your small forward to be big rebounding guys. Now, center, that's probably not a, an issue, but does that put extra pressure on the three of who the Blazers can fill that spot with, that they've got to be like Josh Hart, where they're going to go out and get 13 boards if you need it. And if so, does that really limit their options? Because guess what? They also need a shooter. And guess what? They also need a defender. And now you, your laundry list is so long that nobody can fill it. Do you think Jeremy Grant's shortcomings counterbalance at all his benefits and would that call into question at all let's just say money's not an object and sunk cost isn't there do you think jeremy grant is still the ideal power forward for this team oh i think he's the ideal power forward until you till you look at the options and see if there's anything better um i think that he's been put in a situation where it's it's it's, it's tough i don't think he can be your second best player on a on a, on a championship level team or a big big time postseason team like that. So he's kind of been put in a situation where he's kind of got to do that. And I think that, you know, the Blazers kind of expected that coming into the year, but he just doesn't do enough of the, I guess the, the, the pivotal things that you need. Like you said, the rebounding, uh, I think his shot selection can sometimes be a little bit spotty. He can kind of get complacent and stand in the corner and shoot three pointers too much, but all of that, you know, even, even with that being said, he's still a fantastic player. He's going to make a, a, a wild play, you know, every single game that he plays in. So, um, I think you just kind of, kind of take the pluses and the minuses. And when it comes to, you know, the long-term viewpoint, it'd be interesting to see what they do with him in terms of, you know, paying him this this offseason. But I, I think if you can get a situation where he can be the third best guy or maybe like the maybe the fourth, then it would be a little bit better for you. But in, this, in the current situation, you know, I, I don't I don't really buy too much stock into Portland being great with him being that, that second banana on this team. Yeah, I mean, they're going to pay him because of the things I mentioned, sunk cost and the actually thing you mentioned. What are the alternatives? If Even if you cut him, you can't sign a player for that $30 million they were theoretically going to play him because you can't spend it. 
I think we saw what you're talking about exactly when Simons was down, when they were running Lillard and Grant out there. And not only was the defense not there, and that's not Grant's fault. Again, he's just not going to transform a defense all by himself. Few players can. But he was not really the second option on offense that when opponents were able to key on him, his offense came a lot more difficult and his production took a lot more time. As soon as he became the third guy now, and he's got one guy on him and that guy is coming to rotate or whatever it is, or nobody's coming to rotate and it's just that guy, Grant looks golden. So it's an asterisk on the off-season trade designs. The Blazers, whatever move they make, if they get rid of Simons, who is the number two, they better make sure that Sharp can fill that role or they better get someone coming in who can fill that role. Because if they don't, it's not just that person who's affected. I think Jeremy Grant will, will look worse as well. And that's well said. And um, to kind of double down on the point with, with Jeremy Grant and Simons, you know, I'm so I, I think that you look at the the way these players kind of work these days. Um, it's a situation where I think when, they, when their score is down, I don't know if they do enough other stuff that you want to kind of see as far as defensive defensive play, uh, rebounding and, and playmaking and whatnot. And when you look at stars around the league, you know, they're able to kind of recognize that, you know, hey, you know, the defense is down. I got to step up on this end. Even with Damian Lillard, when, when he noticed that, you know, players were out, he went out and went and led the Blazers in rebound. It was three out of five games. Like, that's just one of those things that you kind of want your your top players, highly paid players to kind of recognize right away. Like, I've got to offset some of the weaknesses here and, and be a little bit better here for the team. So uh, with with Grant and Simons, I think both of those guys are, are two guys that can kind of look at look at that. That's something to improve on over improve on over the offseason and, and whatnot. So uh that'll be key in terms of I think the next level for Jeremy Grant. I think he's still got another level he can get to, even at his age. So um going forward, that that'll be something I'm watching for to see if he's able to to kind of pick out different things he can kind of kind of get better at when the shot's not there to kind of keep impact the game. Yeah, absolutely. And look, you're stuck in the middle zone you are with the Blazers entirely which is being able to highlight all the good parts of all the components that you have, because they do show through, but then openly wondering what difference it makes. And the difference is either not there or not enough. And that's going to be the epitaph on this season, I think. Uh, anything else from the Clippers and, and Boston game? I, I mean, my impressions were they just got housed. I mean, they didn't. There was nothing there, especially against Boston. I mean, even when the Blazers looked decent, it was like they, you can tell that Boston's just going to turn it on. Uh, Boston is playing tighter. Boston is rebounding bigger. The Blazers don't have a shot here, which is sad to say. I mean, because, again, earlier in the season, you thought they at least had a puncher's chance. But you're going like they could throw all the punches they want. Boston's just a terminator at this point. Um, L.A. was a little better for me, I thought, but still not not adequate. I don't know. What What are your impressions for those games or anything we need to know from that? Well, I think with the Celtics game, one big thing was the 24 points in, in transition. You know, normally when you get a situation like that, it would have guaranteed a win. I remember writing about that when they hit that number, and they were like 8-0 earlier in the year. So um, even what they're doing doing well hasn't quite been enough. Um, and as we kind of mentioned, the Boston Celtics kind of took it to them with 50 points in the paint. 18 offensive rebounds. 
Um, so it, it's tough. And I think that with the Clippers game, I like the way they played in that first half. And despite the fact that they shot six of 29 from three, you know, earlier in the year, we, we kind of would have said, hey, if they shoot that poorly, they're not going to win. And they didn't win here, but they they, they played well. Um, I think I like to see the, the fact that we had, was it four, four different players from the second unit, three different players from the second unit with uh, double-digit points. So I think that's a, that's a welcome sign going forward. It's been kind of interesting to see how they kind of tinkered lineups and, and how that how that plays out. So some I think there's definitely some guys on this second unit that you want to take a, take a long time look at, um, especially when you bring Wofford back to that second unit, get Cam Reddish there, just guys like that. So they've got some some promise there, some potential there, and that's a, a great sight for a second unit that's been pretty bad this year. So uh, going forward, you want to see that continue to get better. Yeah, and again, you look at the expectations at the beginning of the season. You're going, oh, Portland's finally deep. I mean, not only have they got Josh Hart as their fifth starter, which is pretty damn good, uh, they got Gary Payton, right? They got Justice Winslow, who wasn't expected to set the world on fire, but when he overachieved and became a real hub in the in the opening weeks, you're going like, okay, they, they can make some serious noise here. And Shaden Sharp, hey, lottery pick. Just too, I don't know. It it's it's like it's like a recipe with no binding agent, right? Like there's no flour in that cake. You got some good ingredients, but there's just not enough to hold it together. So you mix it together, you put it in the oven, and it's either soup or it completely falls apart. And it's like, where's the binding agent for this team? Who's gonna take all the components? And stick them together. And you go, well, it should be the team leader, Damian Lillard. But first of all, he leads, you know, he, he leads by scoring 40. And it's, I'm, I'm not downplaying that. That's incredible. And he is, I think, a great locker room leader, great franchise guy, everything. But my point being, asking him to then also play, I don't know, the Draymond Green role before we figured out that Draymond Green was a jerk or whatever it is that that glue role is, that's a bit much. You can't be the franchise superstar and the glue and the leading scorer and the guy who, you know, basically does everything. I don't think the Blazers have that. And the tough part is it's hard to trade for that, right? Because that happens in context. Those guys grow up into that role. And it's not like you're not the same person after you get traded, but you're in a completely different culture and organization. It's going to take you a couple years to become that glue to bind to all the parts well the blazers don't have a couple years so who who's stepping up in order to do this i don't have a real good answer for that but i'm praying for i don't know matisse steibel or somebody <laughs> to, to get out there and i have no idea uh but to put the parts together in a way that that makes them work yeah i, I think it's really just that simple um it's just a lot of pressure on Lillard at this point in time and every year they do the GM survey, and he's routinely voted as the the number one leader, the guy that you would want to play for if you were if you were a player. So uh, that's that, that he's got that going for him. But even then, that only gets you so far. You know, you still got to have the on court production, and the Blazers just kind of haven't had it. Now, I think that'll be something to look at. How do you get the right kind of players around him? This would be the fourth time in in five seasons that they've had a, a top ten offense with him. You know, at the helm, but the defensive the defensive end has just been. No matter who you bring in, whether you bring in, you know, Robert Covington, Derek Jones Jr., all the different guys they say are going to change this defense as a whole just hasn't happened yet. So, you know, you're hoping that, you know, they don't run out of time on that. And I'm thinking about Lillard again. Like, I, I listened to his press conference the other day. 
you sort of feel bad because he almost signed it kind of defeated. Like he kind of knew the season was over. Um, and, and the Blazers were in a situation where they had to rebuild. And he said he wasn't really interested in that. So I don't know. It, it's, it's just, you want to see it happen eventually, but I think you just have to, for the Blazers, they've got so many different question marks. You just have to hope that one of those guys turns into an exclamation point where they, you kind of know what you're going to get and it changes everything. But I don't know how confident I feel in that. So it's going to be a very weird situation. Yeah, I hate to use a military metaphor, but I will. I mean, Damian Lillard is the general, and the Blazers got one of the best generals ever. They've got an officer or two that are great. What they don't have is NCOs. They don't have a sergeant. <laughs> you know, they don't have that guy who's going to go out like, okay, I'm going to translate what those guys are aiming for to the rest of you guys and get this done, right? And every organization needs that person uh it doesn't work real well when your generals also have to get in the jeep drive out to the field and show all the people how and where to put up their tents and what hammers to use and all this stuff right portland i think needs that badly the criticisms of the coaching i think need to take this into account too now i'm not a chauncey billups defender sir i'm less than you are in in that field but I will say this. I think Chauncey's laying out the game plan. I think Lillard is on board and is executing it, at least as far as he goes, to the best of his ability. I just think this isn't translating to everybody. And part of it's an experience and knowledge gap, but part of it is just that accountability, that little you know, details, that dirty work stuff that there's this gap between general and private that just isn't filled. Yeah. And this, this is right here is part of the reason why I feel so strongly about Portland taking a chance on a, on a disgruntled star around the league. I think that might be the easiest way out. You know what I'm saying? Because it's Portland, they're not going to attract a lot of free agents already being a small market. Um, and, and the situation that they're in right now, if you can get a big guy like that to come to the, the to the Blazers, you know, it literally helps in getting that going. I think it make it a lot easier to kind of talk other players into doing that which will kind of help with that situation where he's a general, he needs, what was it, NCOs, as you said? I kind of, I yeah. kind of forgot the reference. Non-commissioned officers, yeah. Sergeants uh, and corporals and all kinds of stuff. Yeah. So literally, he's basically in a situation where he's taking orders, cooking the food, serving everything right now. So you, you kind of want to see him get a little bit of help in that way. And I think that the best way he can do that might not be through the draft. I think if you get that top top five, top six draft pick, I think in that situation, you kind of look at a situation where you you – Look at a trade. You look at trying to get a, a big established star to, to really put Portland out there. Um, and I think they have a lot of options this summer, but I think that would be key is, is getting him that that solidified number two player, a proven number two player that, that's feared and, and, and respected around the league. So that would be something I think I'd, I'd look for. Absolutely. Now let's, let's sag to Lillard talk because this is all coming up again. We had uh, some initial quotes from a press conference about Damien explaining patiently and consistently that he's out here to win, that he loves Portland, that he's not interested in tanking, as you said. Then we had those rechopped and recut a couple days later and gone national about how Lillard isn't uh, into a rebuild and then calling that into question again, whether the Blazers will be trading him or more specifically, whether he'll be demanding a trade. I want to get into that a little bit less other than to let people know, obviously, it's happening. We've addressed that on site a little bit. But there, really quickly, 
I don't think there's any reason in my mind to think that Lillard's mindset right now is much different than it was a month ago. I think reality has set in that this season is not a success, but you kind of could see that door opening a month ago and two months ago and three months ago. I don't think anything's changed in the last couple weeks. But nor do I think that means it's guaranteed that Lillard stays or doesn't demand a trade. It's just that that was always a possibility. I don't think it's a greater possibility right now than it was a while ago. Do you perceive any shift or would you guess there's any shift in in those wins that we need to be aware of? I'd say I see a little bit of a shift. Um, He looked a little bit less optimistic, you know, in in that press conference. Uh, I kind of got like some some disappointed dad vibes from him listening to that. I feel like I feel like <laughs> in the press conference it was almost like he he uh, he's Damon Lewis is one of those guys he's never gonna you know put anybody out or you know critique them publicly. But it was a situation where I think when he, when he said when he said what he said, you knew exactly what he meant. He's putting some pressure on the front office to really you know put their best foot forward this offseason. Um, he's he's it's been that way for a couple of weeks now. I remember a couple of couple of weeks ago. Uh, he was talking about the Blazers' lack of lack uh, lack of a defensive leader in a specific game, and, and everybody kind of thought he was talking about Chauncey Billups. He was talking about the players. Uh, he's holding people accountable, and I think that's the the best way to do it um, in that situation. And and I, if I were him, I would do the exact same thing. You know, you've got to kind of let this front office know. You know, they've done a, a, a decent job. They haven't done a great job of putting the right pieces around him. So I, I definitely say I see a shift, and I think it, it's a question of is he is he going to stay. Will this loyalty be testing has ever been as as real as it is now? So, if you're going to do those much. things, though, you got to do them behind closed doors. Yeah. I mean, unless you want to create controversy, which you know, again, I'm not sure. I don't think that that's intentional on Lillard's part, but it is, and he can't be entirely naive about it. <laughs> like he knows if he says something negative, he saw what happened last year, right? So. I, you know, I I hear I hear that, and I I think I want to agree with it, but if it does turn out to be true, I'm going to raise an eyebrow a little bit because you can't. And the other thing is, you can't like make allusions. You can't like be cryptic about it. If you're going to say it, you got to say it. But you really should say it behind closed doors, because when you create this buzz, uh, it becomes very quickly toxic. And people leap to things. And, of course, it creates a big civil war down, you know, Blazer Nation in terms of, okay, well, he said a hundred times that he's staying. Why are you even questioning it? And we should never question it again for the entirety of forever. Well, it's like, well, no, things change. And, by the way, him saying that he's going to stay does not mean that he's going to stay. There ain't any person who's ever gotten a divorce that when they got, went down that wedding aisle said, yes, I take you until I get tired of you and I'm going to divorce you someday, but let's do this marriage in the interim until I say that. They all say, we're going to stay together forever, and then the situation changes. You can't. That's perfectly normal. That's perfectly allowable. And by the way, for a professional athlete, it's perfectly fine, especially if you're of Damian Lillard's caliber. So... You got the one side saying he's never going to leave forever. He means everything he says. I'm going to hold him accountable to something he said eight years ago and five years ago and last year and blah, blah. And then you got the other side saying, nah, Dame, you know, is like every other NBA star. And he's just going to move uh, the first chance he gets in order to find a better situation. And the Blazers have shown them that they're not that better situation. So he's going to go this year. And then he's going to go again this year. And this is the year he goes and whatever. 
And meanwhile, here's Dame in the middle, kind of like giving out little tidbits of information, but also not going anywhere to this point. I don't see I don't see that uncertainty cleared up at least. I don't see him packing up. I don't see him making big indications that he's gonna go. But I guess if he did, I wonder how we would know. Yeah, I, I don't see any implications that he's gonna pack up either. Um I think it's a situation now where it's it's he never came out to actually say like at the front office this is your fault or anything like that. He just basically said that he's not interested in rebuilding. So that's kind of how I look at it. He, he's just putting pressure on them to, to build a better team, build a better roster, and I think he's 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 due in that regard too. Kind of reminds me of the, the Russell Westbrook situation uh, where Kevin Durant left and it, it re- reinvigorated Russell Westbrook's loyalty to Oklahoma City and whatnot. Um, and I, I kind of wonder when when Lamarcus said he was going to be the best Blazer ever, or he wanted to be the best Blazer ever, and then left a year later. If that kind of made Lillard even more, you know, embedded into the loyalty part of it too. But I can see Lillard's situation kind of working out similar, similarly to uh, Westbrook's, where he basically that he got traded as opposed to leaving them overall, and, and and both sides were able to kind of keep that loyalty and that love intact. I think that'd probably be the, I say the more unlikely of the scenarios, but I think the more likely scenario is that Lillard's, you know, his, his statement about just not wanting to rebuild. You know, I think it, it puts some pressure on the Blazers' front office, and they they go out and make some moves. You know, it wouldn't surprise me if that's what they do next year. I think that's probably the more logical of the two. Uh, I, I really can't imagine a situation where Lillard isn't in Portland. You know, it just feels like you know everything everything that's been said. Lillard's never given us any reason to kind of doubt what he said. So, for that reason, I, I'm willing to kind of bank on him, uh, him, him in Portland, figuring out a situation where they're both happy with where they are. Yeah, he has said a couple of things in the past. First of all, he has said that he has open communication with general manager Joe Cronin and that Cronin has told him that winning is the agenda here. So that does kind of fit in like the pressure you're talking about. In essence, it sounds like he's asking the Blazers to step up to their end of the promise. Now, there is a shadow implication there that if they don't, his approach may change. And again, there may be laying underlying justification for that change in approach. And make no mistake, it's going to have to be done carefully. And this is why I kind of cringe. Like, I don't think this is going to be done openly because you know what? Lillard has a brand, too. And Lillard's brand is not going to look great if he has to very openly force a trade. Now, I say that with a caveat because 99% of the world will cheer. Okay. At the same time, he has said over and over again how loyal he is to Portland. And there will be this undertones of, well, okay, that didn't turn out to be true. You're just like everybody else. You want to chase wins. I don't think he, you know, he'd ideally, I don't think he wants to undergo that. Also, there's significant cost to the Trailblazers organization should that happen, right? Our superstar is demanding a win or demanding a trade precisely because we cannot win. All right, that that looks bad. So I think both sides would want to negotiate it a lot quietly if it were happening, and I think that that is the way it should be done. Now, here's a question for you. Ready for a conspiracy theory? <laughs> if they really were at this point last year, okay, remember when all the buzz was there? And if they were really were there, what would Lillard's trade value have been? He was coming off surgery, right? He had not played. One of our our biggest question going into the season, we stated it like three different times, can Lillard still play? And as long as that question hovered, 
his choices of destinations and their recom recompensation for trading him or compensation uh, were not as great. How has that changed now? How valuable is Lillard right now? Where could he go right now? What could the Blazers get for him right now? If this were underneath the surface, him playing this season exactly like he did and him being given the space to produce exactly like he did, while at the same time the team begins to retool and get younger under him once it was, and by the way, I don't think this would have been pre-planned, like they probably did give it the college try, you know, for three months, and it didn't work, and as soon as it didn't work, hmm, you know, it's not the worst thing to have this guy making headlines and, and all this. Now, I don't think that there's much chance this is true, but if it were true and they did know this was coming, this season could not have done more to highlight his value, to open up his options, and to get the Blazers the best deal for him. Yeah, it's, it's definitely something to think about because he's he's a year older, basically. At I think in a lot of different a lot of different cases, his best season, you know, as a as a professional player, best individually season. So um, I think both sides kind of have to tread lightly on this. Uh, I remember last year. Lillard basically said, you know, they, the Blazers wouldn't have a repeat of what happened last year. And they basically almost did. You know, they got a few more wins, but they're still in the 20, 25-35 win range. But if you're the Blazers, you also don't want to be the team that that traded arguably the most loyal player in the NBA. You know, I think that's a difficult situation to be in, too. So, um, you know, you definitely hope both sides can kind of figure it out. I'm not sure what, what Lillard would consider a competitive team or a team that he can win with. Um basically it looked at this year's team and you thought that, you know, they were going to be able to really make a move. And for the first 14 games, it looked like they were going to do that. So um, I don't know if, if, if a winning team, you know, qualifies as him having a, a bona fide all-star, solidified all-star. And I'm not sure how available that's going to be this offseason. But in whichever case, you know, so you, you just want to see a little bit in a situation where he's, he's got a little bit of pressure taken off of him. You know, it kind of makes him look bad for him to say that it won't be the same way and then it happens the same exact way like that. So. You know, you, I don't know. It's, it's an unenviable situation. You know, you don't want to see it like that. Yeah, I mean, I think that last year the question would have been how many teams can Lillard win with? I think it's expanded now. I think the NBA executives will look at it differently, and it's not how many teams can he win with, it's how many teams can he help win. And I think that's exactly the difference that this year made. And at this point, I'm thinking it's almost anyone north of the Pacers. I mean, there are some few exceptions. And also, there are some teams that already have all-star point guards that obviously he probably wouldn't fit with, okay? But if you look at the Pacers, uh, the Jazz, the Raptors, the Pelicans, the Lakers, the Mavericks, the Hawks, the Timberwolves, the Suns, the Warriors, the Nets, the Clippers, the Heat, uh, maybe not the Nets, that's since they traded everybody, but Clippers, Heat, Knicks, Kings, Grizzlies, Cavaliers, 76ers, Nuggets, Celtics, and Milwaukee. If abstractly any of those teams added Damian Lillard, you'd be going, they've got a shot. They've got a shot now. That's a whole lot of teams. Okay, Last year, again, that list wouldn't have been, you, you would have taken the top six and said, uh, if Dame can play, they look really good. Let's hope he can play. So, I mean, there's your conspiracy theory for the day. That if, if this was... Uh, if this was a possibility last season, like everybody said it was, but it wasn't the right time and it wasn't the right situation, 
Uh, and also keep in mind, when did Dame sign his extension? That was 2021, 2020, Yeah, I was like really recently. So it's like that extension question was right there. Like, not just can he help you win right now and not as if he's worth this year's salary, but is he worth $63 million in 2027, right? Okay. Right now, you're not even asking that question, are you? You're going like, whatever I have to pay later, just put it on my bill. I'll take Damian Lillard. Thank you. That's a huge, huge difference between basically what will be July of 2023 and July of 2022. So anyway, there's your Dave conspiracy theory. I don't think it's true, but it's interesting to think about. Last question on Dame and really last question of the podcast. Here's the other thing. This whole ring culture thing is being brought up, and I find it kind of twisted and toxic and weird, the whole conversation around it. But the idea to start with is, well, does a player need a ring or not to prove themselves? And how important do you find championships in a player's credential? And do you think Damian Lillard's career will be affected one way or the other if he does or does not have a title? I think when it comes to Lillard, he's kind of always been overlooked. Um, you look at it in all-time point guard debates, uh, all-star ballots every single year. It's a situation where you, you kind of look at it and you're like, okay, Lillard should make this list, but is he going to make it? And I think that's why it was so so awesome to see him make that, that 75th anniversary team. Um, and I think that it kind of proved that even without a championship, you know, he's, he's still one of the, the best to ever do it. So for me personally, I don't look at a championship ring as something that you need to kind of validate yourself. I think back to that that debate between, uh, I think it was Trace McGrady and J.R. Smith, where they were basically saying, like, anybody can win a ring. You could be the 12th man on the bench and, and win a championship. But everybody didn't make the Hall of Fame. So uh, a lot of great players, they just you got to have everything kind of aligned perfectly. You got to have the right teammates. You got to have the right injury luck. Got to get the right opponents in the postseason, and one of those things is off. You know, you know, you might end up playing 15 years and, and watching everybody else win a championship besides you. And if, if I were a NBA player, I would kind of want my career to play out kind of like Lillard's, where I, I stay true to, to one thing, uh, held value to you know an organization and, and certain teammates, and you know didn't didn't go from team to team. I think that it kind of lessens your value. You know, if you're looking at a guy like and no disrespect to guys, but a guy like Russell Westbrook or James Harden, you know, you you probably can't remember your, your favorite Russell Westbrook memory on, on the Wizards or the Rockets because he was only there for, you know, a year or two. And you're seeing, you know, Hall of Fame players playing on five teams in six years. And it's just, I disagree with that. I think that there's something ingenuous about that where you're, you're just migrating from team to team and, and, and trying to chase a championship. And I think that it kind of loses value when you kind of got to do that. I think it'd be better to be kind of like a 2011 Dirk Nowitzki or something like that. I think it's, it's, it's holds more value when you, have built a story into a certain city and then built, you know, something, something worth watching. I think I, I like the way Lillard does it. And I would, I would vouch for that any day of the week. Yeah. I think Lillard is definitely in the David Thompson, Bernard King kind of category. Look, he's, he's not going to be mentioned with Kobe Bryant and, you know, Tim Duncan and guys who have won multiple rings and multiple MVPs. He's just not there. I mean, that's what happens when you're the second best point guard in your era. And Lillard would have been, had he come before Steph Curry, I mean, he he would have been that game changer. But Steph was there, and Steph won rings. So Lillard is always going to be the second guy you remember. That's the way it's going to be. Uh, I'm not sure ring changes that either. But there are guys. I mean, Dominique Wilkins is another one. 
there, there, there are lots of guys you could you, Tracy McGrady. I don't, I'm not sure Lillard is at the Dominique and Tracy level either. I think he's just below them, but he's certainly above guys like John Wall and maybe even Westbrook when all is said and done just because Russ's reputation has gone so far down. Now that'll ease and everybody's going to remember Westbrook's triple doubles, but everybody's going to like to remember Damian Lillard more than they like to remember Russell Westbrook from this era. So I think Lillard has really maxed out his national profile. I'm not sure a title is going to add to that. But my argument that I wrote on the site, and I feel it very strongly, is that Dame is set as far as his individual career. I don't even know why we're talking about it anymore. He could not be paid more. He could not get any more endorsements in Portland anyway than he's getting. He could not be getting any more recognition, and he's literally, in most people's opinion, the best player to ever play for the team. There's literally no way, there's no number zero. I mean, Dame is number zero. I guess he's defined it. But once you're number one, you, the numbers don't keep shrinking, right? So I don't know why we're still viewing this through the lens of Damian Lillard needing a championship. Damian Lillard doesn't need anything. As career-wise, I mean. The Blazers need that championship. The Blazers are the ones who have crumbled before he came, had a brief resurrection when he was here, and the, the, the thing I said was, the problem is all their identity is invested in him. If he leaves them without a title, then what do they have when he goes except for memories and hopes and disappointment? And none of those suit up. So the title would be exponentially more valuable and important to the Trailblazers than they are to Lillard's legacy. And I think it's a mark of the franchise and where they are right now and the, the fan base and everything that, A, no one is talking about that. Like, no one's even thinking about what the franchise needs. It's all about what Dame needs. And... You have half of the the fan base devaluing a title. Ah, oh, nobody needs a title. Dame is Dame. Okay, well, yeah, Dame, Dame did great, and he did great in his own terms. But again, it's like your entire bank account is invested in your spouse. Your entire identity is invested in your spouse. You have, you've invested everything in your spouse, and then when your spouse leaves, you got nothing. That's not a healthy relationship. And I'm not saying Dame hasn't been healthy. I'm saying devaluing the, the value of the playoffs or a title or whatever it is for Portland, this is still an NBA franchise. Lillard plays for an NBA franchise. And I don't think I've ever seen a lower estimation of that franchise outside of the Jailblazers era than it is right now among people who say that they are rooting for it. And I, I that disconnect is right there. Uh, and the only thing that I see resolving it is actual on-court success to redo that culture and to redefine success as actually winning instead of all the other crap that we've said it is to cover the fact that we haven't been winning for the better part of two decades now. I look at it the same way you look at, at food when you're on a diet. You say you don't want it, but I, I tell me to bring it. You, you can say you don't want it, but I think deep down everybody kind of wants it. Um, I, I, I look at the situation with Lillard. I don't know that there's a player that they win a ring for their 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 team that it would mean more uh, than Lillard would for Portland. So it's, it's one of those things where I think it, it Lillard's are like you say he's already solidified individually and in what he's done, and I think he's a 
top fifties, top seventy five player in this in this in NBA history. So that'll be huge. Um, but it'd just be something to add ice into the cake, you know. And I, and I think it's, it's definitely something he can do. Maybe not with Portland, but I think he's definitely a, a, he can still be the best player on your team. So that you just hope to see that uh, be the case for him. And I think the one thing that Lillard has going for him is that with the way basketball is is sort of changing and 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 shifting in terms of the more analytical age is that he's had so many of the, the most efficient box scores, you know, ever. So he's going to be known as one of the, the best, you know, offensive weapons to ever do it. So that's going to go a long way into his, his his arguments and his rankings and whatnot. I think you can make a case right now that he's a top 10 point guard ever. I think you can make that case. Um, like you said, he's the second best point guard of his generation, and that's not something to be slighted. So he's got a lot of things going for him if he does win a ring. If he doesn't, um, I think anybody that says they don't care about the ring or that it wouldn't, add anything else to what you already kind of love about Lillard. I think they're kind of lying to you. They're kind of lying to themselves. I think it'd be huge, but um, either way it goes, you know, he, he's, he's going to go down as one of the best ever. So I hope that doesn't get, you know, over overlooked, you know, as we look at Lillard's legacy and his career and whatnot, because he's, he's one of the best to ever do it. Absolutely. Yeah. And my view is let's all admit that. Let's all affirm that. And then I guess what I kind of want to see, and maybe it's not a fair expectation, but this is just my opinion. If Dame loves the Blazers and Dame is loyal to the Blazers, then when Dame gets in front of a microphone, start talking about the Blazers. I understand that people are asking Dame about Dame, but we know about Dame. And it's like, okay, like I just see it exactly like a spouse that sits down and says, I am really loyal to my spouse. I am so loyal to my spouse. I'm the loyalist spouse ever. I am so good for my spouse. I am great. Okay. Well, you're not really talking about the marriage now. You're talking about you, right? And the word you use, loyal, in theoretically involves the, the marriage, but all I'm hearing is how good you are. Now, I'm not saying that Dame is vain. I'm not trying to put down, and please listen to this in context if you quote this or whatever. I'm not putting down Dame. I think he's one of the most honest, personable. I, I love everything Dame does. I'm just looking at the construct around all of this. And it's like, okay, if you're really going to give to the franchise, if we really want to support the franchise, build the franchise up not just the personal brand of its best player, who, by the way, has every right to ask to be traded if the situation isn't working anymore and his career is going to end and he's not able to be of use to this franchise, he should ask to be traded. And we should all support that because you know what? It's his life. It's his career. He gets to do this. But if we're talking about loyalty, make that a two-way lifting up and both Blazer fans and I think it dame's language himself <laughs> need to lift up both sides of that equation there are the trailblazers and there are damian lillard they are married together it's wonderful union but they both still exist and if the time ever comes when the two part they both need to exist healthily then as well I'm sure Damien will because he'll be welcome with open arms everywhere else for the whole rest of his life the Trailblazers have not been left in such good shape, so they're the ones that need to get lifted up at this point. I think that's well said. Um, I'm not sure what else I had. I think that the one thing that I, I, I listening to you say that it kind of it kind of made me a little bit sad because it's like you would have loved to have at least been able to see playoff Damian Lillard. I can't believe that it's been we haven't seen that since 2020. You know, it would have been awesome to see that. And you look at that Utah game. I kept thinking to myself like. 
this is rough. You know, Utah basically stripped their, their superstars away that went out and got 15 draft picks over the next six years, and they're still better than the Blazers are. So that's a that's a bitter pill to swallow as a, as a Blazers supporter. But, you know, you just hope to see Bla- uh, Damian Lillard in, the, in a, a Blazers uniform in the postseason again. You know, that that's just, it's been a long time coming. That's probably my my longest, long-term takeaway <laughs> listening to that. Like, I want to well, see it again. Now you're breaking my heart. Because I remember Rasheed Wallace in the playoffs every year. I don't, people don't remember how good Sheed was in the postseason, too. He would lift it up. And it's just like, okay, I've been waiting all year for this. I put up with everything for this. And then no playoffs. And now no playoffs this year. And it's, oh, boy. Okay, we left left on a sad note. But that's all right. Uh, we got uh, a schedule coming up for the Blazers. We got another, I believe it's three games here. Let's see. You got Chicago tonight, so don't get that wrong. Welcoming open Oklahoma City on Sunday. New Orleans again. They're back on Monday. Like they never go away. Why we're seeing way too much New Orleans lately. Uh, Sacramento on Wednesday, so it's actually four games before we speak again. All at home. Chicago, Oklahoma City, uh, the Pelicans, and the Kings. What do you think? Is the winning streak going to continue? We're going to see five and zero in the last five, or what? Goodness. <laughs> well, they've come out and they've said that they're trying to win every game. Um, I'm not sure that they've won enough games, even when they said that. So, I'm gonna go. Uh, I'm gonna go one and three. I think that they. I, I can't see them losing all four games at home in front of the, in front of the fans in the Motor Center. I think that'd be a, a very bad look. Um, but I think they're gonna win one of those games. Kind of make some fans mad that kind of want to see the tank go on. Um, I'll go. I'm not sure which one. I, I, I guess I'll go. Uh, Oklahoma City. I think they'll, they'll get Oklahoma City into one and three, um, and hopefully, the Orlando Magic go three and zero or four and zero over that same stretch. I think that'd be great to see. But I think yeah, I'll go one and three on that. You ready for this? Let's hear it. I'll say three and one. I think I like that. I'd like to see that. That beat Chicago, what? beat Oklahoma City, lose to New Orleans, and then win on the 29th at Blazers Edge night against the Sacramento Kings in a shocker. Sacramento will come back and beat them bad on Friday because uh, it's a home back-to-back. But I'm going to say 3-1, and one, which is the boldest prediction. You talk about conspiracy theories. This is a wacky podcast, but we have Dame uh, angling to be traded since last year, and now we have the Blazers going 3-1 and one this week. I'm not sure which is more unlikely, but uh, we will see how it plays out. Uh, for Marlo Ferguson, I'm Dave Deckard, and we will see you again next week.